Welcome to Holy Shit, We're Alive. I am your host, Doug Cartwright, and every week I'll be sharing my ideas, thoughts, and insights that will inspire you to look at the world differently and possibly change some old paradigms holding you back. Hopefully, by sharing my stories with you, you'll be able to step into the highest, most authentic version of yourself so you can fully maximize your life and your human experience. All right, Doug. Welcome back to the Look Up podcast, and I think we're Thank also you. on your podcast, so I don't know if yeah. you want to holler it out. Yeah, so we're we're doing a double podcast here. This is fun because I think we have, we 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 know each other in a lot of different spaces, but we also have really good conversations, and um, I'm excited to share those for my audience, and I'm excited to be in front of your audience as well. So, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, maybe that's a good place to start. I mean, we recorded a podcast a bit over a year ago. Um, and then maybe more like maybe a year and a half. I'm glad that we're able to re-record. Um, my, this was like oh, back to, in to the day. Back, it was, it was December, 2019. That's yeah. That's what we're going to get to. The, our, our chat log said December 12th, 2019. So it was kind of right so, before COVID. So like December, 2019 and then January, 2020, uh, put my book bag in the front seat of my sister's car just off of Lincoln Boulevard in Santa Monica and went to dinner, had this like, cause I, I think this will actually be interesting given kind of what you write about and, and how I, th- I think you think about the world, like had this like twang in my stomach, like put the mm-hmm. bag in the trunk, went to grab it, to put it in the trunk. And my sister was like, don't worry about it. It's fine. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It's fine. Which later led to like me being ang- unnecessarily angry at her because we walked into the restaurant, came out, the window was smashed in, the compute, the bag was gone, the computer was gone, the podcast recordings were all gone, yours included, yeah. and um, and just basically like ended up that we were on hold for about a year and and four months, which is perfect because here you have a book coming out. Yeah, so it's good timing, and I, I love I don't love that story, but it's such a good reminder you know, and really kind of my spiritual awakening, a major lesson I learned through it was the beauty of learning to trust my intuition, you know, because intuition is such a tricky thing. Cause it's like, you can't measure it. You can't see it. It's not like you're, you know, you can really learn about it. It's just kind of like this weird feeling that's kind of hard to describe. It's almost like this deep knowing. And a lot of times in my experience, as I've kind of like opened up to it, it's actually just such a quiet, subtle whisper. You know, it's like a uh, little nut, just like you had right outside, you know, the restaurant in, in Santa Monica. It's just like a very subtle feeling. You can't really describe it. Um, but I think once we really learn to tap into that and build a relationship with that intuition, I mean, it's it's a very powerful source or source that guides our life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was I think that was the takeaway of that experience for me was like this was just another in a series of lessons that were like when I you know, like, it wasn't like my sister was like, no, fuck you. I'm not going to put the bag in the trunk. Like GFY. It was kind of like, eh, it's okay. Like I just closed the trunk, Mm -hmm. like it's full. And I was, you know, I could have easily been like, I'll, I'll squeeze it in there, you know, pop it open. But it was kind of this experience of like, I feel something, you know, someone else nudges me against that intuition. And I just kind of, I'm like, I'll just go with the flow. And it was in a series of kind of these experiences in that period of time where I just continued to receive the lesson of like, when you feel this message, cause it is more like a feel than a hear for me. Right. Though right. so I think some people might hear like a whisper, you know, I feel kind of like a, 
like it's almost like a, a belly twang, you know, that's like, this is right or this isn't right. You for know? me, it's, it's more of like a, a, I would describe it as a knowing. Mm. I just get like a random thought, almost like laser beamed into my head. <laughs> and, I like, and I like say it out loud. One of the entities. Yeah, one of the entities creeping in. And so it's just interesting how I feel like, and that, and that causes confusion too, because I know people that are like, you know, really deep feelers and some people are like really intuitive knowers. And so kind of figuring out what you are, I think is really important to guide you. And uh, one thing that comes up to me as you say that was where I got a lot of my intuition. I know you totally resonate with this story is um, when I was dating my ex-girlfriend, who I thought was like the love of my life and I was going to marry her and things got off. And intuitively, I kind of knew she was going to break up with me, even though it was like the most beautiful love story ever. But it's like, I kind of just knew she was going to break up with me. I had this knowing and I didn't really address some of the problems in our relationship. I, d- I didn't really want to have the difficult conversation. Then all of a sudden, boom, she drops me. And so it's one of those things where if you don't listen to your intuition and don't act on it, it's like it shows up as a brick in the face moment. Yeah. And a, and a reminder to listen. Uh, yeah. It's like, dude, <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> it's uh, crazy. I, um, I, I mean, it's, in, it's interesting, like just thinking about since we last connected, you started an app called the daily shifts. Mm-hmm. You've written a book called Holy shit. We're live. That's and it. the opening of that book, you talk about basically like this concept of just like the probabilities of like us being here yeah. are so minuscule that yeah. like that in and of itself is just like such a fantastic reminder of like, holy shit, we're alive. This is amazing. You know, life yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. And so we kind of started on my spiritual journey. You know, I was so, I kind of, you know, I was very type A in a high performance job that basically I got paid on how I produce. So I was really super stressed for eight years straight. Um, and then found myself where we met in an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, mm. We met in an ayahuasca four, ceremony. Four, four years ago now. My, my first... And only ayahuasca ceremony, which we're going to change that at some point. But yeah, it's crazy. We uh, we ended our ayahuasca virginity together. It was both of our first ceremonies. Yeah. yeah. And the last night we're, we're side by side. Yeah, we were side by side on that last night, which was really cool. Uh, but in that ceremony, um, I got blown out so cosmically. I got like this grand cosmic perspective of the entire universe and how like earth is really just like this little floating speck of dust in the middle of nowhere and that we got dropped down onto this beautiful planet with beaches and mountains and animals and oceans and other people and whatnot and if you look across the whole universe there's nothing even remotely close to earth but of all the spots this little tiny speck we got dropped down to here it was like this really wow moment. And, and in that experience, I was so separate from earth in this ayahuasca journey that I, I didn't feel like I was human anymore. It's almost like I was like conscious, like cosmic consciousness. And then I kind of got shoved back into my body. And I remember like looking at my hands in the ceremony and I would close them and make a fist like this. And I'd be like, holy shit. I just think, and it does that. Like, I just, mm. I just think in my, this, puppet. this vessel, <laughs> yeah, this me puppet. And I remember thinking that the, the ex- exact thought I had in my head was, 
holy shit, like, this is what it feels like to be alive. I'm like, holy shit, I'm alive. Like I'm alive. And that's the title of the book, right? Is comes from that. And just having that cosmic perspective. And so often I think, and I know you resonate with this is like, we get so caught up in the busyness of life and, you know, are we making enough money? Am I in good enough shape? Do I have a cool apartment? Am I dating a cool girl? How do I have a nice car? Like, and you're kind of in this comparison that we're so looking at life like this, when we zoom out and just kind of realize that just being alive is the ultimate gift. It, really takes the pressures off of our daily routine activities. Absolutely. I mean, that that's like such, such a good kind of like shock hack. I think yeah. you mentioned like you sometimes just will like look at a photo of earth from space uh, as a reminder of just like how small we are. What I'll do on top of that too, is I'll take like, if it's a smaller photo and I'll just cover my thumb. It's almost like the Apollo 11 movie, right? Or Apollo 13 movie. 13, yeah. Yeah. And I'll cover my thumb with the earth, <laughs> and I'm like, like if you take away earth out of the equation, like there's no difference. Like every person, you know, every piece of music ever created, every piece of art, every conversation, every memory that's ever been made is on this little tiny dot. And if you pull it out of the scenario, it doesn't make a difference in the grand cosmic scale. And that's just like a really like can be a daunting idea as well. And what's well, so that's that's a great that's a great point. Like it can also be it's like a function of perspective, like it can be, it can lead to this almost like nihilism, which is like, we're so insignificant. We're so small. Like, what does it matter rather than this expansive joy that you're describing, which is like, we're so small, but like the odds of us even being here are just like, we, like there, we really shouldn't be alive. Like, and the fact that we are is so incredible. And the fact that like, you know, this ball of fire is heating up this rock, you know, hurling 60,000 miles per hour through space. And, you know, that ball of fire basically provides the energy for these things called plants that then grow and provide us with the oxygen that we need to breathe. And it's just like, it's just like, it's like so synchronous and so perfect yeah. that it's hard to be, it's when you, when we step back and think about nature, it's hard to be, you know, upset. It's hard yeah. to fall into our little caves as you call them. Yeah. And we I all know do you- all the time. And I do all the time. God knows. <laughs> yeah, for me, and, and I know you think similarly here too, is like, it's actually the opposite of like this dread. It's actually really exciting because it's like, okay, like I have this moment between my birth and my death because life happened before I was born and even thought of life is for sure going to happen after I die. I have this little window, you know, of, you know, statistically 80, 85 years where I can be on this planet. Like, what am I going to do with it? How exciting. It's almost like every day is like going to an amusement park. You have this whole experience to, you know, meet new people and connect and create and explore. And so it's like, okay, I have this short window, but how do I maximize the experience? It's actually a really, really exciting uh, experience for me. And I know, I know you kind of have the same. And because it's interesting because it's all about going out and connecting because we were actually reconnected because we had that ayahuasca ceremony, that kind of yeah. this blowout, right? And then I didn't see you for what was it? A year and a half? Two years. Two years. <coughs> year, and, like almost two years. Year, year and a half, two years, something like that. And then we're at uh, that event in Tulum and we're at the beach having drinks. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know that dude. Dude. And I was like, so, you know, like immersed in that ceremony. Like at first I was like, where, where? and you're like, dude, like I lost the ceremony. I was like, Oh yes. <laughs> Cause you didn't Amazing. recognize me at first. I know at first I was just, yeah. because I was, I went to space too. 
Yeah. So I also went to space and what's interesting, I actually did want to bring this up because it's funny, like yeah. we might've been like physically laying side by side, having similar, you know, conscious experiences, but also like slightly different in um, my experience of space and floating and non-bodiness. I was also kind of flying through this like cosmic um, a myth, let's call it like, you know, this like alien type story of good and, and evil if there are such things or like I, I would even say I came up thinking like maybe like mischief you know that's out there in the universe mm. that's almost like lo- the Loki as like I've been yeah. watching Loki the series on Netflix I've um, heard that's actually Netflix really really well. good actually. it's pretty fun it's fun yeah, I haven't I, seen I, it I watch a lot of TV too much but yeah. anyways <laughs> it's um and in my experience like even though Earth was insignificant it was also very significant, like a cosmic theater in which some of these myths or some of these stories were kind of, you know, playing out in real time and had some level of like significance in this much vaster universe, almost like, like a play of like a broader kind of, um, battle maybe that was going on. That's kind of how I experienced it. It was crazy. Um, and it was cool. You said cosmic theater. And that like resonates with me. I'm like, that makes so much sense. It's almost like we're these entities or, you know, our true essence of our souls are kind of bystanders. And then we get to go experience the theater of earth and we kind of drop down and have this experience and that. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you said that very, very well. Yeah. that Maybe it's a metaverse, you know, maybe yeah. it's, we're, these are just like virtual reality flesh puppets that we possess yeah. that we're able to yeah. just like move through. But you, um, you mentioned stories you know, as well in, you know, and there's a story, you know, more of like a higher level story, but then, you know, we also have kind of these narratives that we create throughout life. You know, what kind of, what is, I I was interested in your stories about Mm. kind of that, that you were struggling to break through. Like what, one of them I was interested in because you were a fat kid. Yeah. I was also a fat kid. Were you really? Yeah. I had the fat kid narrative. I would have never guessed that. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like Chub Scout, you know, my sister's called me Bubba, but I think it informs like a personality type in some ways when you grow up like that. So what was your, your story of, you know, being quote unquote a fat kid? (laughs) Yeah. So my, my story kind of created in second grade where I remember I was a recess and I was very unaware that I was the fat kid, but I was just like a normal, happy little, you know, six, seven year old. And, uh, as it should be as it should be. And some kid called me fat at recess. And I was kind of like, wait a minute. And so that's kind of like where the story started and what happened. And I did, I I put this all together working with plant medicine, especially ayahuasca that like in that moment, I then really said to myself, the story was, okay, something's wrong with me. I'm fat. And because something's wrong with me, I don't deserve love. Right. And so now, and I played that story out my whole life. And then even into my twenties, it was like, okay, I know something's wrong with me. I'm broken. I don't deserve love. So I, now I have to overcompensate in other areas of my life to prove to you why I'm worthy. And so I was always playing from one step behind, especially in the fat kids, in the fat kid story is because if I meet someone new, like you can see me and I can't hide my fat. Right. And so like, I'm already starting from behind. And so now I have to overcompensate and show why I'm valuable in the world. And so really healing that story was, I would say the most dramatic life changing shift I've ever experienced. I mean, it sounds like it took years for you to kind of recognize that. Yeah. And a lot of different practices. 
Totally. Right. And it's something I still kind of, it's, it's kind of like still is nagging at me. Right. It's because it's been a story of my whole life. And so in that experience too, as well as we're talking about our physical bodies, you know, a big lesson that I got through in ayahuasca medicine was, you know, how much I hated my body and how you can't hate your body into a healthy body. And that I needed to learn to love and respect my current body. And so I've made some changes in my life. I, you know, incorporated a yoga practice. I stopped eating meat. Uh, I'm not saying everyone needs to go vegetarian just for my body type. It works well and, you know, get proper sleep and hydration. And so I made a couple of changes and like the weight like fell off so fast and I've never been healthier and stronger than I am now. And it was because I learned to respect my body first, just how it exactly how it is. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lesson in there about just kind of, I mean, everything, everything is a little, you know, I, I think you were hesitant in writing you in writing your book as well. Like you mentioned up front, like, you know, just I, every time I pick up a self-help book, like I, I put it down after like two paragraphs because yeah. it's a lot of the same stuff, but like, there's truth and wisdom in, in some of what feels cliche, you know, and it's good to hear it through different narratives and perspectives because it might strike a chord. Like you're the way you tell a story about, you know, surrender, which is the way I hear you kind of describing or acceptance or gratitude, you yeah. know, for the body that you have led you to be able to create the body that you have now, yeah. you know, and <clears throat> I think that's super important. And on the flip side, I still kind of think about, you know, the balance between just acceptance and gratitude and being comfortable with where we're at balanced with, you know, the ambition and drive and achievement mindset of like wanting to go out and make changes too. Right. You know, it's, so, uh, it's yeah, an interesting it, area. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, my question <laughs> to you is where, how did you, like, I didn't, I had no clue you dealt with that kid stuff. How was that for you? And like, how did you change and make healthier choices and lifestyle changes? Yeah. I mean, I got, I got lucky because I was basically like a chub scout until I was probably like 13 and puberty hit. And then when puberty hit, I just like shot sprung up and grew out of it. I grew out of it. And in yeah. like, and in that time, like I was developing like social skills that were compensating for like whatever, you know, fatness I felt. Right. And like yeah. kids were less cruel. You know, they weren't cr mm. as cruel about like having a little bit of extra weight when you were like six, seven, eight, nine, you know, like middle school and high school, I think is when kids get really nasty. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and so like I was able to grow out of it. And if anything, it just made me more of like a bubbly kind of personality, like just able to like go like just be friendly and like overcompensate for whatever that feeling of like I'm inadequate in my physical body. So like I'm going to make up for it in the personality, which it sounded like you did as well. Yeah. So were you like the nice kid or were you the funny kid? Were you the friendly kid? I mean, what was, what was the like, you kind of played into? I think like the friendly kid, you know, like the nice kid, like nicer friendly. Like I think it was definitely like I wanted to be friends with everyone. I still think I, I deal with that, you know, maybe being it's like, cool. it's like being cool, but it's like being liked, you know, like mm -hmm. I like to be liked. And yeah. <clears throat> I think that that's led to a lot of pain in my life because sure. Oftentimes I find my awareness or attention will gravitate towards um, individuals that I perceive don't like me. You know, even if I actually don't even really want to like hang out with them or spend time with them, if I get like a sense that someone that, you know, I was hanging out with or whatever has like started to like me less, I can feel my attention moving towards them. And it's kind of this weird thing. 
you know, so yeah, um, is, is attachment. Like you yeah, I was about to say, it's more, it sounds like attachment styles. Yeah, it's yeah. totally an attachment thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, uh, it's like, oh, like this person, you know, and, and it's because there's validation in the other liking you. It provides you with a sense of like, okay, I'm worthy because I'm liked. But oftentimes like that, that comes at the sacrifice of like that intuition that we were describing earlier, that, that inner voice that's like, no, this isn't right. Or no, this isn't the way to go. Or this person's not, you know, tribe for you or whatever. And I think in adult life, the lessons that I've learned is like, it's okay for you not to be connected to everyone. It's okay for people to disappear from your life and for you to disappear from people's life. And it doesn't mean anything. And like, also if somebody doesn't like you, it's just, uh, it's fine. You know, like you, in, a, in, a, in other words, like sometimes I think if everybody likes you, then you're not being, you can't possibly be you're not being authentic, right? authentic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then I was like, then there was a phase for a couple of years where I was like, oh, like hating myself. Cause I was like, oh, I'm this chameleon. Like I can be, if, if like I can be liked by so many people, then like, who's the real Mark? And there was this exploration of like trying to figure that out, you know? And then ultimately coming to the conclusion that like that chameleon element is actually a major part of who I am. And there's no need to try to, to try to shed that. It's actually a massive gift as well to be yeah. able to, to get along with different tribes and different people and different cultures and different mindsets is a, is a huge gift. Cause then you can translate, you know, which yeah, is so why I love this, doing this podcast. Yeah. Um, would, would you say that that shows up too in your, uh, romantic relationships? If they start to oh, pull away, totally. you get a little, little bit more, more clingy. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it showed up in my last relationship, like beyond because, and I think, I, I actually think that's what this is like somewhat the importance of jealousy in relationship. I mean, it's just like, you can use jealousy as like a tool. Jealousy is attachment. So actually totally. our, one of our guides who we share I, I, I called him cause I was struggling with jealousy yeah. and he like clearly defined to me the difference between jealousy and envy to jealously guard something is to hold it close to yourself. It's, it's truly to be attached to something or someone, whereas envy is to want what someone else has. Mm. It's to covet. And there's a subtle difference there. And like to be jealous of your partner or whatever is to hold on to something else. And so like, I'm holding on to that desire to be, to be loved, to be recognized. Um, but it can also create a desire too. If you see your partner being someone else being attracted to your partner, you know, or vice versa, and you feel comfortable and safe that, you know, at the end of the day, this person is attractive and they deserve to have people attracted to them. And like, but we have a, an agreement and a relationship and she's coming back with me. You know, yeah. there can be a powerful kind of desire that's that's fostered through that jealousy and confidence that's created. Or if we're not comfortable and communicating and trustworthy, it can destroy a relationship. Totally. So, and I actually I dealt with that firsthand because my last ex, and this is, you know, it's I think it's chapter seven in my book called Self Love is a Superpower. I go into really detail here, but I would get so jealous with my ex because she had a lot of guy friends. And so I was always like, you know very on edge and I would get these really intense feelings of jealousy and, and, and it, and it turned into resentment. Um, yeah. that's really what it turned into. Right. And so, and one thing like the biggest, one of the biggest breakthroughs in my life 
was I realized I was so much relying on her for my happiness. I basically put all of my happiness in her, in her car, in her hands. And so I was always on edge and I was always saying, who are you talking to? What's going on? And it was, it was very, very unhealthy. And then I had this breakthrough where I was like, oh my gosh, I've outsourced all of my happiness to her. I need to learn to love myself. Right. And so after that breakup, I got, you know, I was the darkest moment I've ever been in my life, extremely depressed, dealing with a job that I was unhappy with. My girlfriend, who I thought I was going to marry, had just dumped me. I was kind of a lot of emotions of my dad passing away had resurfaced. And I had suicidal thoughts, you know, for about a month in, in the summer of 2018. And then I learned like, oh my gosh, I don't love myself. Mm. Right. I've always outsourced and that's why I want to be well-liked. That's why I want to be popular. So other people can validate me for me because I don't validate myself. And that's when I started to make the changes of like, okay, I need to control what's controllable and I can control if I love myself. And that's kind of really where my self-healing journey started. Uh, And I started to really do the work. And I feel like, you know, after putting two years of work into this, of learning to love myself and enjoying myself and healing my past and, you know, incorporating mindfulness activities and practices, you kind of have this slow, slow internal love start to grow. And then it's over overflowing. And you get to this point where like, Oh my gosh, like, because I do love myself, it's, it's a superpower in a sense where I don't need external validation anymore. We'll always want external validation. External validation will always feel good, but we don't need it anymore. Right. And when you don't need the external validation, it gives you permission and motivation to be the truest, most authentic version of yourself and the confidence to go express your true natural gifts in the world. And then like when people talk about, hey, this, how do you level up in life? Like a true life level up, I think is really centered in self-love. As corny as it sounds. No, I mean, but that's the thing. Like, again, like these, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's corny, yeah. but it's true. Yeah. And then like, but I also struggle because, well, that so that reminds me of A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, mm-hmm. which was like a book that changed my perspective on relationship and love uh, after my first serious uh, girlfriend and I broke up. Shout out to Brittany. I don't know if she listens to this still. <laughs> um, but like, you know, we were high school sweethearts and there was a codependency there, right? Mm-hmm. And like Marianne talks about basically just like, you know, a love of, I kind of think about it as like a love, like love should be like two stars, right? Like two stars kind of like circling each other, but like they're producing their own energy from inside. You know, they have their own kind of nuclear reactions going on, building that heat that's emanating out towards each other. And everything that comes into their orbit is kind of getting lit up by their individual lights. And like, I think that the codependent love can look a lot like one partner is a star, the other partner is a planet. And, or like that can switch back and forth, right? Where like one, then the other, one, then the other. And it's just um, this codependency that can develop in relationship is is kind of what Marianne writes about as like an immature form of love, where it's like two, you start to believe like, oh, she's left-brained, I'm right-brained. And so when we come together, we're like a whole brain. And like, that's cool. You know, like uh, she can cook, I can drive. And like, that's great. You know, but instead of like feeling ourselves as kind of whole, you know, complete people without the other, the, the question then becomes how to, and that's why there's so many of these books out there, but like how to develop self-love. Yeah. And 
to, you know, kind of echo what you're saying, there was a reminder, one of my favorite quotes from, is from Michael Singer. He says, true love is when two people love themselves so much, they want to share that frequency with one another. And that star analogy you said was absolutely perfect. And so to answer your question, you know, how do you learn to love yourself? I think it starts with going back and removing and, and dealing with the parts of yourself that you don't love. This isn't a tactic of addition. It's, it's, you have to start with removing the pieces that know that don't fit anymore. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's all, there's versions of ourselves from our past that we don't love, whether we did something really terrible to a loved one, or we have a lot of shame or guilt about an experience in the past, or we identify as a victim as a, because something intense happened, whether we got divorced or cheated on or had to file bankruptcy or lost our job or made a mistake that hurt someone. And so we hold this guilt and this shame so deeply. And we really can't learn to love ourselves until we go back and address the scary, ugly parts of our lives. And so that's always where I would recommend people start is, is going back rather than yeah. trying to incorporate new things. And that's what's powerful, I think, about plant medicine, yeah. which is how we met. And I don't often talk about plant medicine on this show or ayahuasca or psilocybin or any of these things, but I do think they're, they're unique in their ability to show us these moments in time and then to allow a softness. Some of them, you know, some of them are a bit more harsh and set in setting is everything, but to allow a softness to kind of allow that not to be like chiseled off, like, you know, sharply, but to allow it to kind of like fall off. Like when you heat, you know, like an artichoke in the oven and kind of like it opens, right? Like something like that. It's just, I think like these things can just fall off, like just smoothly if we allow them to, but we have to look at them too. We can't just ignore them. Yeah. We can't resist it. And that's the biggest problem is a lot of people resist going there, right? How often yeah. do you hear, you know, at the dinner table, it's like, we don't talk about that subject or don't bring that up with your mother. You know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's the stuff we got to talk about if you really want to break through into a deeper richness and, and love of life. Yeah. And still it's, um, you know, self-love is like, a, I, I think it's probably also also cliche and and whatever but it's a process like totally you know, like all the work you know you mentioned up front like all i've done all the yoga i've done all the yeah. psychedelics yeah. the holotropic the you yeah. know ketamine therapy the yeah. cryogenic freezing whatever and you're like you name and it still <laughs> yeah. it's a yeah. process yeah it's not a weekend retreat that's for sure yeah. no although some pe- some people treat it as such well and, and, and it's it, it's interesting you actually want to bring this point up because you actually said something because I just we just recently it was what two weekends ago we were in New York and we met up to go on a walk yeah. and you you brought something up that stuck with me a lot and, and you were talking about you know you you come from the crypto space and you're talking about all of these you know acquaintances you have that have made it big in crypto and made a ton of money are kind of having these existential crisis and we you brought up the quote of beware of unearned wisdom Right. Mm. And we talked about that and how a lot of these people have unearned, like they're, they're, they were trying to excel in another business, but made their money in like six months and they're retired in another business. And I relate, relate that to the psychedelic space too, where it's so many people go in and get the insights and kind of view what they need to do in their life, but they, then they don't integrate Right. They don't actually do the work for it. 
And that actually puts you in a massive disadvantage because you've been exposed to what I call true personal truth, right? And then if you don't follow up on it, right, it actually creates a bigger feeling of, of anxiety and overwhelm because you're not following the insight you've been given. And so that whole beware of unearned wisdom piece really resonates, I think, in the psychedelic space as well. That's something I've been thinking about since we chatted. Yeah, it's uh, it's, you know, the the ceremony culture. Of yeah. Going back to the well, you know, for the lessons over and over and over repeatedly yeah. without integrating in between. And um, I think that's that's something that like as psychedelics become more mainstream, you know, you and I also chatted about like how important it is to make sure that people are doing these things in the right set and setting or like with the right knowledge and the right dosage, because they're very powerful. And, yeah. you know, things like DMT can lead to, you know, um, real disassociative kind of experience that can be challenging to come back from. Yeah. Right. And I talk about that in my book, my last five MEO DMT experience within a right setting when with the right facilitator and the right set, like I had checked this off the box. It was so powerful that it, it made me completely disoriented with my life for, you know, 30 to 45 days after. And that's a really, really scary place to be when you are feeling like you've lost a grip on reality. And so I, I, I do want to make a note of that, like proceed with caution, right? There should be a word of caution in, in, in regards to talking about these profound compounds that it is possible to have kind of like blue blow a screw loose. And it's actually a really scary moment. There was, there's been times in my life after working with medicine where I thought I would legitimately was going to get checked into a psych ward. And that's a scary yeah. place to be, but, but with the help of professional help and uh, incorporating mindfulness practices and, integrating what I learned, I feel like I'm in a much healthier, safer spot now and have been for the last, you know, year and a half, two years. So I want to circle back to the question that I should have asked at the beginning of this, yeah. which is like, you open the book with like, and I mentioned this earlier, like not another self-help book, you yeah. know, not another kind of like, you know, philosoph pop philosophy book. You know, but you're sharing a lot of wisdom that is, you know, that is kind of repeat wisdom that's brought up that is useful mm -hmm, totally. through your own life story. Yeah. Um, so why did you decide to write the book? Yeah, I think, you know, when I talk about this is another self-help book, I've read a lot of like type A self-help books where it's like mm -hmm. how to supercharge your life and get the life of your dreams with the house and the Ferrari <laughs> and, and the yeah. girl in the bikini and how to basically go out and exert your will into the world so you can ma manipulate others to get what you want. And, you know, I came from the sales industry, so I read a lot of those books and now I kind of roll my eyes at them now. And so that was kind of what I meant in regards to this is another self-help book. Um, and basically the reason I wrote the book is because I was so one track minded of, you know, it was, I was living in happy when syndrome. And I feel like a lot of people live in happy when syndrome, which is I'll be happy when yes. I finally, finally find my girl, the love of my life. I'll be happy when I finally make, you know, build and sell a business and get the Ferrari in the house on the beach. And then I'll finally be happy. Like, you know, when my kids grow up and go to Stanford and everyone always lives in happy when syndrome and no one's ever actually living happy now. And I was very caught up in that. And then after kind of making a U-turn in my life in my late twenties, getting into this, what I call the woo-woo world, 
right? Of psychedelics <laughs> and yoga and meditation and hippies and crystals and, you know, all whatever, right? I learned a lot of really valuable healing modalities and they're really beneficial that really, you know, after implementing and integrating the experiences, um, created such a deeper richness of my life experience. I was feeling more feelings of joy and happiness and excitement and love and enthusiasm. And I wanted to share my takeaways with the world and my, and, and in the book, I say, it's not, I'm not trying to get you to think like me. I'm just, hopefully I can raise some new awareness within yourself so you can be inspired to maybe make some changes on your own. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, I understand kind of the nuance now as to what you were referring to at the beginning of the book. But I do think I I think more of these books should just continually be written, you know, because, again, like your your specific experience of some of these kind of, you know, universal lessons that have been referenced over and over and over again is what's going to trigger like that one person that reads it and says like, Oh, like I, you know, dropped out of my church or like I lost my father, you know, when I was younger. Um, and like this resonates with me and I'm filling that, that void. You, I think you call it the success void. Yeah. The success void. Yeah. And the way, the way I define the success void is where if I were to give you a resume of my life at this specific point, my resume would look successful, right? I've got a nice job. I've got a cool car. I live in a cool place. I travel. I go on vacations. I date pretty girls. You know, it looks what the world would say is successful, but there's still that really deep existential void inside of me. And the more I I talk about that, the more a lot of other people are resonating. So I, I realize it's a major, major issue a lot of people are facing today. For sure. I mean, it's the, it's the happy when, like happy when, you know, and then, I am, I have the happy when stuff and then you create more whens and yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 can be challenging. Yeah. And it's something I still, I I still deal with it too. It's not like I'm like healed of this. Cause there's always like that kind of thought in the back of my head. It's like, Oh, what's my life going to be like? If, if this book does really, really well, like then, then what will happen, you know? And so, you know, it's kind of like a fine line of delaying of, of living in the future, but also being grateful and motivated too, as well. So, you know, I try and bring myself down and and I think the way you bring yourself back to alignment and to centered into the now is through gratitude, Mm. right? A lot of times we're future thinking and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting really future forward here. Like, okay, how can I bring it back to the present? It's okay. What am I grateful for in this exact moment where I'm at my life right now? Yeah, it's really powerful. And that's such a great point. I mean, you know, like you wrote this book and how do you hold space for excitement around like I wrote yeah. this fucking book? Like yeah. I want people to read this book. You know, yeah. I'm going to go on podcasts and talk about this yeah. fucking book because that excites me, you know, and and also like if people don't read it, I'll still be happy. And if people do read it, I'll still be happy and yeah. and satisfied. It's um how do we hold on to excitement for the future, you know, while also maintaining, you know, a calm, grateful posture in the present? And I think we do that by understanding there's no finish line. Yeah. Right. We're playing in, you know, as Simon Sinek says, we're playing an infinite game. Right. 
And the purpose of, and my, my, my opinion is the purpose of life is to have the human experience and to evolve our souls. And so knowing that I'm never going to get there, get to this end result where everything's completed. It's like, wow, I can be really grateful where I am now, knowing that I'm also going to evolve my soul and get better. And usually when we do get better, to, to become better at what as, as who we are as humans, that also is going to involve trials and hardships. And so I know for me to become the best version of myself, I have to get better at managing my obstacles as well. So I know there's going to be some dark days ahead of me as well. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, there's always going to be trials and tribulations. I like that idea of just, you know, evolving, you know, our soul evolving over a lifetime. And I recently read, actually, because you recommended it to me. And then that very night, uh, my best friend said he was reading it, The Way of the Superior Man. That's when you know a book is ready for you when it gets recommended twice in the same day. Dude, I mean, I cr- like I, I haven't read, I, I honestly, for listeners, like I, I struggle to read long books now. Like I'm sure many of you feel the same, like attention span, just shrinking every day with like IG and Twitter and, and blogs. Like, you know, like I see 20 minutes on a blog post at the top and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to read this. I'll keep it open on the, (laughs) on the browser. But man, I, I mean, it was an audio book, but I finished it in like five days. And you know, the opening chapter is like, stop trying to find completion. Mm. You know, and that resonated with me so much is this idea of the finish line that you describe. Like, I think it's what's bro- what's fundamentally broken about our Prussian education system is that it's just so finish line oriented. Like it's it's such a fake out for the real world. Like the real world is not like you learn, 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 and then you take a test and then there's a grade and then you move on. And then there's a grade and then you move. Like, it's not like that. Like experience flows into the next. It's so much less linear, you know? And I feel like we're ill, many of us, I actually think like being a high achiever in high school um, was to my detriment Mm -hmm. in some ways because I figured out how to play a specific game, which was optimizing for the linear outcome of like, every time I need to figure out how to study for the test and get the good score. And I had some natural skills that aligned with that, but it didn't prepare me for a life where like, there's not a grade. There's no one that's going to come and be like, here's an A and a gold star, like good fucking job. There's no ribbon. There's no race, you know, winning, which I think is maybe why people love sports so much is because it reintroduces that kind of like finite, there's a winner, there's a loser, there's, there's an end, there's an end to the competition. You know, life is more like soccer, I think, than it is like American football. It's kind of this like back and forth for like, you know, amorphous, like for there's some (laughs) goals, there's some misses, there's some people falling over, you know. So anyways, I'm kind of rambling, but I resonate with this idea of no finish line. It's very important, I think, especially for achievement focused, success focused men. Yeah. And I, and I see a lot of people in my networks that are so caught up in that. It's, and it's, you know, it's kind of sad to me to see where it's like people grind and, you know, hustle and, you know, seek validation externally to get, you know, a promotion so they can get the title, the, the title change. Cause then they think, okay, if I have a specific title at my workplace, then, then I'll get respected. 
And yeah. so, you know, to really loop it back through to what, you know, the tension of my book is I, w- I would hope that people can understand that like your life is perfect right now. It's beautiful the way it is and you're imperfect as it is and you're your work in progress and you'll always be that way. So how can we enjoy the time we have now as we evolve and get better? In one of your chapters, you talk about the force, which I love because I'm a Star Wars geek. I mean, yeah. I, so you grew up, you grew up Mormon. Uh-huh. And, you know, you left the church, yeah. right? I guess I have a, like one, like what role does God play in kind of your life today um, or source, however you want to describe it? And then would you ever consider kind of rejoining the Mormon church or another organized religion? That's a good question. So I think my relationship with God today is the strongest it's ever been. I don't feel like I ever really had a relationship with you know, and God's a really tricky word too. I want to say like my version of God is different than everyone else's version of God. Like who is God to you? I don't think it's a, 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 a man with a beard and a robe in the sky. Um, yeah. I would say God is the fabric of creation that binds every living thing to one another. And, and it's a uh, infinitely wise intelligence that loves us deeply more than we could ever possibly comprehend. I think God is such a profound uh, idea that our limited human brains can't comprehend the true nature of its everythingness. And so my relationship with the force that guides us all is very deep. And, you know, one thing that was, uh, it's was really, I wasn't prepared for when leaving the Mormon church was growing up in the Mormon church. You're taught like, okay, this is your soul. This is where your soul was before you're born. This is the purpose of life. And this is where you go after you die. And that's instilled in you when you're like a really, really young kid. Um, and I decided to leave, I decided to leave the Mormon church, uh, just because it wasn't resonating with me anymore. But what I wasn't prepared for was to face the tough questions. Cause I was like, wait a minute, if the Mormon church isn't true to me anymore, then like what in the actual hell is going on right now? Like I'm on this rock orbiting a star hurling through infinity and no one knows why or what's going on or why we're here or how this all happened. Um, And that was really daunting. It created a lot of existential crisis for me. Um, But leaning back into my spiritual practices and creating a relationship with source and really it's, it's, it's going to sound counterintuitive, but really what really grounded me in that moment was understanding, and I talk about this in the book, but understanding and comprehending that no one knows what's going on. We can't figure it out. Like no one has one life and has really gotten the inside scoop. No one does. No one has any clue. And not that we, and that, and on top of that is that we don't have the capacity, our brains don't have the capacity to understand creation. And really, and it was an Alan, Alan Watts quote that says, you know, the purpose of life is life is to have the human experience. And that really grounded me because I was stopped searching. Cause it's like, okay, I can't figure it out. Yeah. You can't figure it out. And that's okay. I have this beautiful moment. And so I love that. what I, yeah, would I join a religion in the future? How I answer that today? Probably not, mm. but I also know my soul's evolving and I might change my mind and I, who knows, you know, I'm not going to predict anything in the future, but Really what happened is from going from being in a religion, it was almost like I was looking up, which is the title of your podcast, right? It was looking up at like God as God is, was the superior being, right? And I have to obey and follow the rules to get his love yeah. to where after really incorporating spiritual practice, the, the roles almost like merged. And it wasn't that I was like trying to prove myself to God anymore. 
And it almost made religion or Mormonism in, in my experience, it made it seem like cute. Like, oh, religion, that's cute. Like, that's fine. You can, if those, if you're into it and that's your thing, great, amazing. And if you have a connection with God, incredible, but it really wasn't needed anymore for my evolution of my soul. Yeah, I think that's really, I mean, well, can I just digest that for a sec? <laughs> that was really nice. Thank you. Um, I think source, God, it's, um, it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the kind of beyond words, right? I've yeah. got a smile coming on my face thinking about yeah. this question. And I love, I love that you said like no one else is going to figure it out for you because I think that there's two things that I've experienced in kind of like my soul search. Mm-hmm. And one of, one of those is the achievement mindset in search of, of the answers to the mysteries of life that are unanswerable. And so like going into a ceremony with like, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. And then like you just get blasted with like a wave of like, no, you're not. And you also can't. like, here's like 30 more questions. You yeah. know? And, yeah. like, and it's just like the cosmic joke that Watts talks about. Like, I love that you right. brought Watts into this because it's so fucking funny when yeah. you really unpack it and you're just like, I'm never like, I'm not going to know the yeah. answers to these the questions. Box impossible at least in this incarnation right in this in this in this life in this human body but um but then i think the other element besides just like trying to achieve like get the right answer you know which is something that i think we we success focused external validation seekers tend to do there's this like laziness that i felt that i think many people feel which is like it's actually easier to just be like, actually that guy over there knows the answers. And like, I just, I just like, I'm just dying for someone to tell me the answers. You know, I'm dying for a guru to tell me the answers. You nailed it. And I actually bring that quote up from Neil deGrasse Tyson in my, I think it's in my introduction where I say it's, it's, he quotes, it's easier to be told by others what to think than to think for yourself. It is. And it requires to, you know, it, to be so vulnerable and kind of wipe your slate clean on what's true and what's not true and then rebuild it yourself. It's a lot of work and it's really daunting and it's scary at times and it's overwhelming. And I 100% agree with you. It's very difficult to build this upon yourself. And, you know, once again, to loop back, why did I write this book? It's to inspire people and give them the nudge where it's like, Hey, if you go actually go do this work by yourself, it pays off bigger than you could ever imagine. And it does. It really does. And I think, um, I guess I don't think I, I ask like, what about community? Yeah. Cause I feel that's something that's so special about being part of like a community, like the Mormon church, you know, like yeah. the camaraderie, the, you know, in group, um, I think about that, you know, being a Jewish person as well, like, oh, you're Jewish. Yeah, I'm Jewish. Like, oh, cool. Like there's this instant, like some people treat it as like this instant connection. Sometimes I'm like, that's a little bit of like too much of a shortcut for me to yeah. like yeah, yeah, to yeah. your trust. Like that's not, but, but yeah. anyways, I'm rambling, but I guess like, what about community, you know, in yeah. the search of, of, of 
for source in the self-discovery, like it is an N of one, but community. Community <laughs> is the biggest piece. It's huge. It's like, it's what, I mean, that's, I, I truly believe as humans we're on earth to have the human experience and, and more specifically to connect with others and create things. So connect and create, right? And so connecting, that's a big part of the community. And what was hard in my experience after kind of leaving the Mormon church is I had stepped away from one community and hadn't quite found a new community yet. And I think I'm still searching for community, right? Personally, and something I'm always um, looking for. But one thing that I feel like I did do really, really well is I participated in life. So I went to events I wanted to go to. I participated in masterminds I wanted to go to. Or I can I reached out to others on Instagram. And I'm like, think about how me and you, you know, we're friends now and we met at different events I would have never gone to. And it's because I actually showed up and participated and went to the event and said yes to the new experience that you'll run into Same. other like-minded people, you know, and that's literally because we both said yes to a new experience. We're now friends now. And so it's like, when I'm in New York, I can pop in and say, what's up, you know? So it's like, it's, it's because, you know, you got to participate and say yes to the new experience. Yeah. And I too would love it. Would love like a quote unquote community. I find myself as like yeah. a lone wolf, many packs, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that on the path of self-discovery or curiosity, you know, it can be a really lonely road. Like I, you mentioned Watts before, so we can bring in like Ram Dass in his, yeah. in his dying into life speech. He talks about like, you know, the path is narrow and, you know, like that means that the path is narrow. It holds fewer folks. And so, or it's like, you can't necessarily walk arm in arm on a narrow path. Yeah. And so that's that's something that I navigate, which is like <clears throat> this desire to, you know, to find kind of soul tribe and also to kind of trust the intuition, the guru within versus like surrendering to the guru on the outside. And uh, it's something that I'm still navigating with at this ripe age of 33. Yeah, I think that's something where that a lot of people struggle with. And I think, too, on top of that, I want to make notice that you're your communities change, right? Your tribe changes over time because people evolve, right? And if everyone is committed to the higher path, right? That means soul evolution and people are going to evolve at different stages and on different paths. And so it's knowing that I'm going to find cool and new community and more than likely that'll probably evolve over time as well into newer communities. Yeah. And that goes back to the beginning of the conversation around attachment, which is yeah. if, you, if one has an attachment, if I have an attachment style, in relationship, then it's hard for me to say, okay, like this tribe is not for me right now. I need to kind of move on, not forward, not upwards, but just in my own evolution, move onwards yeah. to whatever new group is kind of calling to me. Yeah. But, you know, I have friends that a group is friends that like I was so tight with, you know, 10 years ago and they're all still chilling. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? You know, sometimes I could fall into that kind of headspace of like, why did I not like stick around with the homies and yeah. they're all still best friends and like in text chats and whatnot. And I'm like out doing my thing, trying to figure it out. Yeah. So it's fascinating stuff. It's yeah. It's a hard thing to, to realize too. And I think one thing that's, you know, that I, I really put my trust in is I like to think that I've, I'm truly committed to the higher path, to the spiritual path, true evolving my soul to becoming the best version of myself. 
And even though there are moments that are scary and I don't trust and I don't have community, I know as long as I continue to put my best effort into the world, that the universe will take care of me. Because I really believe that, you know, God's source, divine, whatever your word is, that it, the creator does love me personally and has my best interests at heart. And so as long as I stay committed in regards to that, that, I, that you know, synchronistic moments will happen. Hence, you know, me and you connecting was a very synchronistic moment as well. Yeah, I love that. And I, I would say, you know, the idea of pro-noia is something that was brought up um, on this podcast years ago by Tim Chang. It's this concept that like the opposite of paranoia, imagine if everything, as you just said, the universe source God was conspiring to give you exactly what you need at all times, whether it be trials and tribulations or whatever. And like, if all that we can control is our perception of reality, then imagine that being our reality, like everything, every moment is happening for me in this way. Not in a self-centered way, but in a way that's just like, we good. Yeah, I think it's I think it's in a way of this is whether whether getting your personal preference out of the way, whether it's right or wrong or good or bad or hard or easy, but usually the best thing for the evolution of your soul. Mm-hmm. Right. That's usually what shows up. And so that's my experience. And I think as long as we stay on that path, you know, life usually turns out better than we thought it could. Agreed. Well, this has been fun. So we're coming yeah. up on the hour. We just crossed an hour. Wow. That's that went fast. typically, I know. That was fun. Yeah. Um, so I guess I wanted to, you know, for the look up listeners, wanted to kind of just give you the floor as well. Um, you can leave, leave them with whatever, um, you know, tell them more about the book, which we'll include in the show notes, you know, how to find you and whatever other nuggets of wisdom you want to, you want to drop on them. Yeah. So the book is holy shit. We're alive in the eye and actually an point. And I did that in honor and respect of my mother, who's a very devout Mormon. <laughs> um, so it's holy shit. I is exclamation point. And you can find my book on Amazon. Um, and you can also find me personally on Instagram. That's my main source of communication is Instagram. So at Doug underscore Cartwright. And I do my very, very best to answer every single DM. So if you have a question or insight or comment, please don't hesitate to DM me. I'll do my very best to get back to you. Awesome. Doug, thanks for coming on again, man. I appreciate it. And I really enjoyed the book. Um, learned a ton about you and your experience and got some some nice downloads and reminders. Uh, right now I'm sitting here with the Rona round three. So it was, yeah. it was a good thing, good thing to experience and read. So I recommend the book um, to the listeners, to all you out there. And yeah, thank you so much, brother. I hope that everything's going great. Thanks, Mark. When you get better, we'll still hang out again. Absolutely. 